Hey fellow nerds! Welcome to Research Hole, a podcast where I talk to artists about the research holes we fall down on the way to our projects. I'm Val Howlett, and here we are on season two! Woohoo! This season runs all the way from today through December, so you'll have lots of great tangents every Monday through kind of near the end of the year. We're back today with our guest, Maria E. Andrew. Maria E. Andrew is the author of Love in English, which is an indie next pick and a Junior Library Guild gold standard selection. Her work has appeared in Lit Hub, Teen Vogue, Newsweek, and other national publications. Her debut young adult novel, The Secret Side of Empty, is a Junior Library Guild selection, a National Indie Excellence Book Award winner, and an International Latino Book Awards finalist. She's a mom to two great kids, three unruly cats, and a garden full of weedy splendor. Maria, hi, welcome. It's so good to talk to you. How are you, Val? I'm good. How was your summer? So it was kind of a non-summery summer, you know, like, do I go out? Do I not go out? You know, that kind of. Yeah, uh, it it was the question of the summer. (laughs) Yeah. Do I have a summer or do I breathe? Yeah. So, uh, but but it was good. It was, it was lovely. We're all, well, doing fine. So I can't, I can't complain, but I do. (laughs) Did you go out more than you did pre-vaccination? Like, did you do anything this summer? Any trips? I did. I didn't do trips, but I did go out. Like, I went out to dinner, and and this past Saturday, my brother got uh, got married, so I was the best man. So oh my I have god! Been, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, so I have been doing things that I wouldn't have done pre-vaccination, but it didn't. I was just talking to a friend of mine today about how, like, how is it September? You know, I haven't stepped foot in water. I haven't, you know, like any number of things that you might associate with. Um, with summer I have not done but then I guess that's the nature of of these times yeah that's that's how I felt last summer last summer we got a kiddie pool for adults (laughs) (laughs) because because we felt too nervous to go to the beach but we were like we need something and uh, that kiddie pool like did some really good work for us I should like for what it was like the it was hose water on a concrete city backyard <laughs> and the hose water was lukewarm and it was still it, it felt it felt like we were somewhere else when we were in the adult kiddie pool I wish we would have had this conversation in May I could have had an entirely <laughs> different summer <laughs> you know again I I've been throughout this whole thing I've been trying to stay really mindful of of the many ways that we've been privileged like I can write and stay you know do that from home and not be forced to to you know, go and put myself and them in jeopardy by by working outside the home. <laughs> How long has it been since Love in English came out? It came out in February, and so it's it, it actually today is it seven? Well, don't make me do math, but yeah, it's seven month anniversary today. <laughs> this year, yeah, no, it was full on pandemic. I was like book event. They're like, yeah, great online. I was like. Um, you know, ALA or, or, you know, any number of fantasy places the writers want to go. And they're like, yeah, no, nobody's going anywhere. Hunker down, whatever you can do from your computer. Um, but it was, you know, like I also benefited from the fact that there had been a year of pandemic, you know, book 
talking and book promotion. So, you know, my, my, my publisher pivoted really well. Publishers have adjusted now. I'm sure you can speak to that. <laughs> I feel bad for every author I talk to um, when they ask me about events because I do feel like there's a lot of virtual event fatigue at this point. And yeah. I'm like, I'm like, maybe do one, you know, unless it's it's um, with a school or with some sort of formalized program or if it's like with a conference of some sort, like like there's some extra hook because like I just know myself and like I don't want to I don't want to log into any virtual events. I know. know. I mean, there there are people that I that I love and uh, with whom I was keeping in close contact with on Zoom at the beginning. Now it's like I'm just going to email you, okay? Because I can't. It, it's just so much. Like <laughs> I read an article about how one of the things that's so exhausting about Zoom is that you're always you, you never know when you're on, so you you always feel on. Like when you're physically in a room, you can tell when people are looking at you, but you can tell when their attention is elsewhere, and so you you subconsciously like regulate, you know, putting down your guard or keeping your guard up. And on Zoom, it's just up the whole time. I I never thought about it that way, but yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I will say this, though. I got a little chance, like just a little glimpse into what it might have been like. Well, actually, so my brother's wedding, you know, half half of them were his friends and, and even, you know, her, she's been super supportive with my books. So all of their friends knew about the fact that I just had a book come out this year and they kept coming up to me wanting to talk to me about it. And I was like, this is maybe like, again, this is hyped up because these are all people who are related to me. But like, this is kind of the fix that you get an event at an event where people like stand online and tell you they read it or they want you to sign it. And it's like, oh, humans wanting to discuss the fact that you did all of this like solitary work in a little cubby hole for years before anyone saw it. Anyway, so I got my fix a little bit at the wedding. That was fun. I'm glad those people did that and like were thoughtful enough to do that even at your brother's wedding. Yeah, they were very sweet. It was it was nice. It was really nice. And your research hole today that you want to talk about is about an upcoming project, right? Correct. A little about it. I think I know that all I know so Maria, for audience members, Maria sent me just like a little note about what it was. And it was high altitudes, right? <laughs> um, Ideo, it's a fantasy. All of my published stuff so far is contemporary, but um, I read a lot of fantasy. So this one, I don't even remember how this came to me, but the idea was, what if there is an island, like a physical like landmass that floats two miles above a planet's surface? Um, and it's become kind of a playground. Almost think of it as like a Disney World in the air, you know, like, but but not for children, like more of a, like an exclusive place to go. Anyway, but one of, you know, our protagonist, of course, um, realizes that things are starting to go wrong in this like mysterious field that keeps it up. And it's just basically the stone that doesn't appear anywhere else in the world. But like when you put it all when it's all together under this island it it makes it defy gravity anyway so something's going wrong with that field and the island is slowly losing lift and no one wants to hear it because everybody wants to keep the party going and so you know she there's a kind of an accident where um you know people get hurt and then she's she's trying to to explain like hey this is really happening we have to fix it but she goes up against forces 
that um, are profiting from from this happening. They're like taking the stone and selling it and stuff. So it's this conflict, you know, like teenager saves the world from falling and crashing down. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the question became, okay, what would be, you know, obviously it's a fantasy world, um, but but the question became, what would be some of the properties? of like the flora and the fauna and how would it impact people's like physicality to live here, you know, in this, in this place, this rarefied air, is there air up there? You know, and then you know how it happens. Then the research hole began. I'm really excited <laughs> to talk about elevated islands, but um, I have so many, I have a couple questions. Okay. One is what is going on below the island? Like, is there... Where is where would the island fall into? Do they know? Like, have they been off the island? Yes. So the 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 all the history of the societies is is on the ground. They call it the down below. And so the the island sort of floats in an ellipse above the surface. And and so, so I mean, there's this whole elaborate, you know, like when they're floating over, the, you know, one continent, the, the these like boats that use a small amount of this rock that provides lift brings the boat up with the visitors and then the visitors have like a short one week window while uh, the island is still floating over the surface i have maps yeah you do of course you do that that sounds like such fun world building so much fun i've been having a blast it sounds like a really good mix of stuff you can research and stuff you can just make up because it sounds like the stone like you don't need to make the stone that keeps the island up realistic right because it's magic or do you correct no no i i yes i gave myself license to be like hey this is how this works just deal with it you know like i don't you know i didn't i didn't try to get mathematical about like what mass would you need to block no the stone keeps the island up let's just let's just agree on that okay but then um with with like outside of that then i thought like okay well what if this if you know taking a, a putting aside how would this work how would it stay up realistically how would would it look and there are people who live on the island year round too right yes and so everyone who they um it's a very kind of like um a world that really excludes others which is another theme like they are the descendants of the people who first came up because the island had been you know seen from below since antiquity but no one you know no one did like myths had grown up around it and like certain cultures thought one thing about it that it was good and others thought it you know it was evil and they would avoid it whatever no one could get up there there was no flight and then somebody went up and discovered well it's this place and thought oh i'm gonna monetize it and so the 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 kind of circle of people that she brought up with her in all like ruffians and people she had to break out of jail and so there's this like you know undertone of of their they come from kind of hustlers, you know, but they've made this place be like a very exclusive ticket that everybody wants to to get. There are people who come up and visit and then there's like unseen labor, which you kind of don't discover right at the start. There's like the glamorous ones who are putting on the show and showing the tourists around. And then there's the people who are doing like the heavy work of keeping the island, you know, like like in our society, there's there's people who do the heavy thankless work and then there's the people who put their pretty face on it and be like, oh, look at us, we're in charge of everything. So that's been fun too, like the political kind of implications of stuff. 
Yeah, where what is the the main character? Which side is she on? So she's a little um she's a little in in jeopardy. She was raised by parents who are one of of those, you know, the the descendants of the people, but she is um I'm still kind of working this out, but I want them to have brought her from the down below. So when she starts pushing back, like, hey, you know, we're losing lift. We used to be this far above this mountain, for example, and now we're not. Like, you can see it, right? The One of the ways that the, the society is going to try to protect itself is be like, you're not really from here. You know, bringing in, as always with me, like feelings of, of exclusion and, and who belongs where or whatever. Yeah, that feels... Like, sadly, right. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the fun stuff was was working on, like, filling out your sim island, basically. Correct. Yes, that was fun. Yeah, like, the plants. I don't know why I got it in my head that everything... Because it's like, if you think about it, sure, it's like altitude on Earth, but also it's moving. So there's going to be, like, more wind shear on it than, say, like, on Mount Everest, right? Yeah. Uh, which is already getting plenty of wind, but this one's like also just moving in this elliptical um, kind of pattern. Um, I did make a decision, which is probably counter to this, like I'm trying to research um, thing, which is I decided it wasn't going to be totally snowy. Like if you think about what, what on our planet is at that altitude, it would be like mountain peaks. And that just sounded like a lot of work. So I'm going to have to come up with some kind of device where it is not snowing all the time, but there is the force of the wind. So like one of the fun things that I that I had a chance to think about is like, what would hairstyles look like in a place like that? Right. You know, ah, so there's, yeah. <laughs> there's a scene early on where the tourist, uh, one of the tourists comes off the, the, the ship and her hair is just like, you know, going all over the place because the wind is just blowing it everywhere. And our judgy um, main main characters like, didn't you get the memo that it's windy up here? <laughs> <laughs> so are hairstyles short? So hairstyles are short, or they're like very tightly styled, you know, like like kind of really coiled around the head and stuff. Like no loose hair. What about plants? Because you and I are both gardeners. We are both gardeners. So you probably um, thought about plants in some kind. I of thought way. a lot about plants because <laughs> um, I went into it with certain assumptions, like. Things at altitude are going to be scrubby and and like very close to the to the ground and like not grow very big. And there's an exception to every assumption that you make. Like I thought the same thing about what the animals would be like. Um, you know, they're they're all going to be like tiny. I'm going to have to populate it with rodents or something. And then I read about yaks. So I was like, oh, yaks. I see. <laughs> Tell me about yeah. I know zero things about yaks. So yaks live between 6,000 and like 14,000 feet of elevation, which would make me out of breath immediately. Um, and so because so my assumption was to be uh, to be more um, to like save oxygen more, they would ha- animals would have to keep small. But what I learned was that actually they just adapt their physiology and then they could like carry like their red blood cells or whatever can carry more oxygen so that they they can distribute oxygen in ways that that animals that are adapted to being at sea level can't um so they they don't have yaks up there but they could because they they would just have adapted to to carry more oxygen in their blood wow what do yaks look like I'm going to Google a yak right now. I'm going to put a, uh, put a picture of a yak in the show notes. <laughs> Other people I might be like, critical. don't you fucking know? 
<laughs> yeah, they're huge. They're huge. They're huge, and they live way up, uh, way up there. I mean, I guess on my island, they they might not fare so well because they'd have to learn really early on to like not go over the edge, you know. But I, I guess buffalo did that. They, they, there would be cliffs and buffaloes for the most part if they weren't stampeding learn to not go over the edge right yeah here's another thing I, and you asked me about plants and I got into yaks sorry but like another thing I learned is that birds surprisingly or not surprisingly are um, really well adapted to um, to elevation because you know just their 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 hearts and their lungs relative to their body mass are large and they're like their bones are very light and their their bodies are really light they're just all like heart and lungs um and so they can easily adapt you know like over millennia can easily adapt to um again being able to make the best of whatever little oxygen is available yeah, how nice for birds uh, to be able to fly up and then get a little perch up there and like hang yeah. out in the island for a while. Totally, totally. Yeah, so I had a lot of fun with that. Like they would be really colorful because there would be no predators and, you know, there would be all kinds of uh, of like adaptations of things that you can't see on the ground. So there are a lot of birds in this story. <laughs> like just birds glimpsed from afar, you know, like um, they, they populate the world. Like, I'm thinking about carrier pigeons and ways that Ooh. birds could, like, I don't know. Maybe that's too Harry Potter. Like, maybe that's too cheesy. But oh. I wonder if birds could be a link to the down below in some kind of way. I have been grappling with that because, really, as I'm describing it, it's, like, pre-industrial or early industrial. Like, they, they don't have a lot of locomotion down below or above. It's almost like steampunky in that way right is there anything that you found out about elevation that you tossed aside that you were like oh that's a cool fact but it doesn't apply to my book or absolutely so I was really intrigued by a lot of research that I have found out has been done like maybe in the last 10 years um, in how people who live at altitude also exhibit some of these genetic traits of being able to like just have more stamina and use oxygen much more efficiently than the rest of us and this was fascinating to me because like I, I tried to think oh what would their physical characteristics be like one thing that occurred there's a line in there in the draft that I've written um, that they all seem to stand taller because they believe more in sky like they live surrounded by sky and so they believe in in the sky and they grow closer to it whatever like I just love me that being line. cheesy. No, I love that. <laughs> and um, but then you know, and, and that took a, a substantial amount of my time before I realized, wait, like the way that genetics works is like through natural selection over thousands of years, these things happen, and there's only been four generations of people up there. They're not physiologically different. Like maybe they they're psychologically different. I think about. I used to read a lot of sci-fi as a as a teenager. Less so now, but still some. Um, and I, I remember this one story about how people who had spent a couple of generations in the moon um, just thought that people who had grown up on, it was this story about, you know, like now we've colonized the moon. And then, of course, over time, as would happen, the people who lived on the moon were adapted to the moon, but wouldn't be so adapted to the earth. And the people from the moon had kind of a snobbery about how squashed the people from earth seemed. <laughs> because we <laughs> we had more gravity and and so when earth 
people visited, they'd be like, oh, well, that one's obviously an earthling. Um, so so I guess, and I wish I could tell you the, the author. I mean, I read it. I'm not going to tell you how many years ago, but many. Um, but but so this idea of like when you're from from a place, how it starts to impact your identity and like the things you believe about the world and, and such. Yeah, and how would it impact a, a person who was a kid on Earth or right. on the down below and I guess a teenager in the sky? Right. I, I could talk to you about this, I feel like, for 500 years <laughs> because it's such a fun thought experiment. Like, what a fun thought experiment you landed on. Very early on, the concept was more about exclusion, right? I mean, I... I was undocumented as a kid, as you know. I don't know if your if your readers know. And so it's a thing I think about. I think a thing I notice about myself and like how I observe the world. I observe the world very much in like, do I belong? Do I not belong? It's a thing I'm working on all the time because that's not actually how the world is. It's just my perception. But the stories that come to me tend to, and like I I didn't notice this for years and years, but like they tend to be me working out what I think about who belongs and who doesn't belong and who gets to choose those things. And so I want that, like, I think part of the, the thing that was interesting about a floating island is that it can be very tightly controlled. Who gets to go up? Who doesn't get to go? Have you ever seen Snowpiercer? No, on the train. Is that the one on the train? It's the train. Yeah. I mean, the, what you're describing is nothing like Snowpiercer, but... I think you should watch Snowpiercer because it is a train that goes around an apocalyptic world. So it it had the only thing that really is the same is the I can't think of any other like closed element that is revolving in this in a world. I I, listeners, if you could think of some fiction, whether it be like a movie or a book or something. Um, besides Snowpiercer, where a yeah, world yeah. revolves around another world. Let us know right in. Yes, for sure. Because I, I definitely, I mean, obviously, at some point, if I'm going to try to give this to my agent, to give this to an editor, I'll have to come up with comps and stuff. I, I spent a lot of time researching circus comps because there was a certain, it's not a, a circus, it's more, um, you, like I've I've been saying, more exclusive and kind of shishi and but but this idea of like the show must go on, like here we are on display. So I read a ton of a, a different uh, research hole with circus. I I spent a lot of time making vision boards of circus outfits. Um, <laughs> I, that sounds really fun. Uh, yeah, if, if if my kids were to listen, which I think we're both safe, um, but if they were, <laughs> they'd be like, yeah, that's on point because if it's got sparkles or spangles or some kind of sequins, I'm on board, right? So like, I think I was drawn to to just uh, circus outfits are so over the top, you know, like they've gotta be bright and sparkly for them to be seen from everywhere. The outfits are definitely making it in. Okay, so you got this world, you've got lots of beautiful, colorful birds, you got people wearing sparkles. You got got random leather boots, too. (laughs) You got random yaks. I'm picturing yaks like deer, like deer in the suburbs, just like fucking all over the place. It's like you just slap a like a like a picnic lunch on the back of the yak and like give it a shove on the ass and be like, okay, go that way. (laughs) Deliver this to cabin 17, yak. (laughs) 
is there anything else um, populating your world? You asked about flowers, and I didn't. I didn't say much. The flowers, I just let my imagination go wild. Not really based on um, on anything that I saw. Like there are these little blue flowers, but they're not so little. But they look like kind of balloon flowers, if you know what those look like. But when they open up, tiny a, a tiny little bird lives in there. Back to birds. Um, oh my god. <laughs> I just, I, I just want to visit. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. I think that's a lot of what, what this has been going on. It's like, what would be just, like, what haven't I seen? And what would be like a really amazing, fresh new experience? And, and I just dumped it all on this lovely island. There's one thing I, I wish I had said with your intro. Like, I try, I don't always remember, but I try to do the official intro and then the vowel intro um but i still want to say it um which is that the sort of background of us for listeners is that i met maria e andrew when um working on her first book the secret side of empty um because i was a newbie publicist at the time and you were a newbie author and i feel like i feel like we kind of figured it out together I remember you being extremely kind to me um, <laughs> and it is not rare for an author to be nice to their publicist like I mean if you're mean to your publicist like what, what are you doing you're really shooting yourself in the foot a little bit but I do think it's rare to develop like an actual friendship um, because it can be such a fraught time uh, especially with a first book and I mean, I'm sure on some level you sense that I was not the most experienced publicist of all time, and you handled that with grace, and I'm just really grateful. Um, Like, you always asked me what I was working on, which you didn't have to do. Um, But I was interested. I've actually been holding back. It's like, okay, it's her podcast. I I don't want to, (laughs) like, commandeer it, but what are you working on? Yeah, like, I'm just curious. Uh, I was curious about you then, and, and I'm curious still. Um, I was, I was, and I, and I don't want to step on you because you're saying such lovely things. You should definitely go on. But um, <laughs> I did not. Um, it's funny when you're talking about being a newbie. Like that wasn't my sense of you. My my sense of you was like the extreme patience for for these like super newbie questions on my end, and like you were never annoyed or never showed being annoyed. You were never tired. You were always open. If, if I asked some silly question like, hey, how about we send carrier pigeons? You're like, okay, well, I'm going to look into that. Um, maybe we can move those to your island eight years from now. Because, you know what I mean? Like it was just always a, a conversation, even it, it, when it turned it, on the occasions that it turned out to be no, it was a really positive experience. I always tell people it was the perfect first book experience, I think for anybody, but for me in particular, because I felt very taken care of and very heard. Um, you know, I, I, I loved everything about that experience. Okay, you want to do um, our next segment? Do you want to move on to something I learned this week? Yes, for sure. Let me hear it. So um, this is where... Um, folks write in and share something they learned this week with us and we get to just take it in. My dad did it all season one because I had, didn't have any listeners yet, but now I have 
<laughs> Wait, do I not get dad? I'm a little bum now. <laughs> I know. And dad, poor sweet dad, he he said to me, he he knew I was recording the podcast this week and he was like, I put something, some more something I learned this week's in the Aww. Word doc. Maybe we should just do a dad one. I feel like we should do a dad one. Yeah. I we'll think let's go, one. let's go old school. Yeah. Let me, let me pull up my dad's doc. Hold on. Road rage. Let's see. I could definitely speak to road rage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Val, I'm all over the place here. Do a pre-edit for podcasting. Maybe skip over my story. I will not skip over your story, Dad. You wrote it down. <laughs> I have always wondered what it is about driving a car that turns us into angry assholes, question mark. <laughs> Me too, Dad. <laughs> On Tuesday, November 8th, 2016, I left work at lunchtime to vote. I waited in a long line and voted for Hillary. On the drive back to work, I got on the parkway ramp, and when trying to merge into the highway, a car wouldn't let me go. It sped off and cut off my attempt to merge, dangerously, <sighs> almost causing an accident. I looked at the driver as the car drove by. It was a young woman. She looked at me and flipped me the bird. <gasps> That's awful. Oh, I'm I was mad at her on his behalf. Okay, but then then just wait. <laughs> oh, oh, he, I see. <laughs> I was really angry. I honked. She got off at my exit and I followed behind. <gasps> oh no. Oh my God. But luckily I talked myself down out of the range and let her go. Thank God, dad. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Good for because you. Because also, I mean, my dad is very gentle with me, but I would not want to angry dad. <laughs> it's, it's a force. He's a force when he's angry. It yeah. left me angry and sad, and that feeling carried all the way through the night when incredible Hillary lost, and we were all sentenced to four horrible years. Ugh. Wah, wah. Wait, I, before, <laughs> before we get into Dad's facts, I just want to share a story that I have heard and love. Um, okay. And, and I'm sorry in advance to all the Machados who... <laughs> Because I, I will surely butcher it, and I'm sure you can all tell it better. But a story I've heard multiple times um, from my wife's family. So my wife, um, her grandfather, her granddad, was like a real force, like a real big-time storyteller. And I've heard stories mm -hmm. about him the whole time I've been with her. Um, and there is a story I heard about him where... So he, he was an immigrant from Cuba, but, like, mm -hmm. he immigrated to the U.S. when he was, like, 17. So at this point, he's, like, middle-aged. He's been in the U.S. for a long-ass time. He, like, speaks perfect English, etc. But mm -hmm. he was, like, a real joker, and he liked to fuck with people sometimes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there's this story about how he was he something happened he had an altercation with another driver where the other driver flipped him the finger and carmen's granddad drove behind like followed the driver home oh my um, goodness the driver pulled into his driveway he like watched saw the driver pull into his driveway this the guy walk inside so then he pulls up on the street he he walks up to the front door he knocks on the door Oh, no. I know. It's so scary, right? But this woman opens the door, this guy's wife. And Carmen's granddad puts on a heavy accent. And he, <laughs> <laughs> and he says very kindly and gently, 
and charmingly, I'm sure. I'm sorry, I'm new to this country. My English is not very good. This man gave me a sign, I think. He did this. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and he was like, and I wasn't sure what he meant by it. Can you explain what he meant? That's hilarious. Isn't that amazing? That's really good. It's so good. And then the woman, of course, got mad at her husband and forced him to come over and apologize. <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. Like, like for every time that you have been treated disrespectfully on the road, just like go back to that story and think like triumph is possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I don't think many people could have pulled that pulled that off. Don't follow people home if they if they Yeah, them. yeah. That may not work so much in, in, in <laughs> but these also, times. I, I've always loved that story. <laughs> I have a road rage story that mirrors that one uh a little bit, but and and we still have to hear your dad's facts, right? But like I I yeah, it's no, just it's so weirdly it's just so weirdly like similar. So, I'm driving um in Union City, New Jersey, and I'm on my way to meet, um, to, to go to a new boyfriend's house for the first time. I know where it is, um, but I haven't been there before. He was being raised by his grandparents. I'm going to meet the grandparents. It's like a thing, you know? So I'm like making my way there and this, uh, this car cuts me off and I'm like really pissed and, and I'm like, you know, it, doing the thing, kind of following it. I, I too have had many fantasies about following a rude driver, um, considering flipping him off because he, he cut me off. Then he makes the turn on the block that I need to make the turn on. And now oh it's God. weird. Like, am I going to flip somebody off on my new boyfriend's block? Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. You know where this story is going. They were his grandparents. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't flip him <laughs> off. Imagine he deserved if you had. It. He deserved it so much. But, I mean, the, the relationship was eventually doomed anyway. But, like, I would not have wanted it to be doomed because of that. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Maria, that is when a in doubt, tale. It, it, that is a cautionary tale. When in doubt, just imagine that it's your new, new partner's um, grandparents in the car. And then just don't. <laughs> Okay, here's dad's fact. Um, So in this link, he says, when there is abnormal activity in certain parts of the brain, it may contribute to anger. And surrounding areas of the frontal lobes are involved in shifting your attention from one thing to another. When the ACG is working effectively, you're more able to roll with the circumstances of the day. However, if this part of the brain works too hard... There's a tendency to get locked into negative thoughts or behavior. When another driver makes an unsafe move, they can't just express frustration, call the person a bad name. Instead, the anger festers, and they get locked into a course of aggressive action. This is due to trouble with shifting attention. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it rings true to me, right? Um because I don't always love who I am behind the wheel of a car. It, like, there's this feeling of, like, A, I'm invincible because I've got this metal bubble around me. And B, you're in my way. Right. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so I don't know that I would have, I, I don't know, the lack of, like, the courage or the lack of restraint or whatever to say or do some of the things that I will say or do in a car, so I'm not proud. Um, I once heard a comedian say that they should make it a law that your license plate number should actually be your phone number, so when you cut somebody off or you're rude to somebody, they can call you up and curse at you. (gasps) 
(laughs) (laughs) And I have fantasized about that plenty of time. Like, if only you could hear the things I would say to you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... So I come from the perspective of being a very bad driver. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm a terrible driver. Um, I... To the, I drove like as a teen. I'm sure I cut a million people off, and it's not it's not necessarily out of. I don't think I'm an. I mean, I'm I I don't think I'm an asshole. Like I don't think it's so much selfishness as just like sheer obliviousness. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, to the point where I stopped driving for a long time like I I purposely lived in cities where I wouldn't have to drive because I got into a bad accident and I was like maybe I just like shouldn't drive you know maybe it's just like better for humanity if I just don't (laughs) I didn't know that I'm sorry that happened to you no it's okay I mean luckily no one died um like no one was wow is that where the bar is holy smokes (laughs) no I think no no one was seriously injured my car was almost totaled um it's more that like my mind always goes to the worst case scenario you know um and I've been in two accidents in my life and both of them were my fault but but I do feel sometimes in a car like there's too many things to focus on and either either you have to ignore some of them or like my brain would explode or you right. try to you try to be hyper vigilant and like be aware of everything, but then you're in a state that's of hyper vigilance. Yeah, yeah, I don't right. Know. That's a lot. Yeah, I don't even know where I was going with this. Oh, just just I I wouldn't want people to call me and curse me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've, you know, people would be mean. It would be like the the internet. It would be like Twitter, where it's not like people would give you thoughtful like well-reasoned arguments about why you shouldn't have changed lanes that way they would just like just say horrible things to you so yeah cars they're so scary (laughs) (laughs) but i do drive now i'm 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 back behind the wheel so watch out world (laughs) watch out world there is another story that dad um included too clinical psychologist and um, professor at University of Queensland said that road rage emerges from threat and drive, which are both like processes, not driving a car, but like internal drive, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Threats like unexpected moves by other drivers, being cut off or having to brake can trigger a fight or flight response. Given that you can't really fly, you can't really run away, you fight. Yeah, I really resonate with that. Like, so I grew up around New York City. Um, and I have driven a lot in New York and it feels like a a gladiatorial sport to me. Like (laughs) I love not letting a cab in because cabs can be like really aggressive and, and you see my little Jersey plates and you think I'm going to be a pushover and no, I'm not. So there is this like, like channel for my like, you know, like, I'm going to club you over the head and take your, you know, this thing that you just, uh, that you just brought down. Like, yeah, it's, it's, um, it comes from someplace very primal for, I love to drive. Um, and I, and, and by the way, I remember in my, in my driver's ed, uh, uh, textbook from, you know, 20 million years ago, 
They said 90% of people consider themselves above average drivers, which just statistically speaking can't possibly be true. (laughs) So I try to be very mindful that just because I think I'm good at driving doesn't mean I really am. I'm just as delusional as everybody else. But I, I do really enjoy it. So it's just interesting how like your psychology... Like, I, I would think that you and I are very similar in a lot of ways and, and some of the ways that you describe, like, how you feel about things. But, like, life experience can also have us have very different um, kind of takes on, on the common experience of driving. That's interesting to me. Truly, I believe that you're a great driver. <laughs> I just convinced you. I just, like, Jedi, <laughs> like... Okay, listeners, if you would like to share something you learned this week or if you would like to share a road rage story or <laughs> I definitely want to read those yeah I'd love to hear them um email us at researchholepodcast at gmail.com I might read your email in a future episode or maybe I'll just keep reading facts from my dad um <laughs> so Maria where can people find you and your books so I am most active on social media on uh, Instagram. So I'm Maria E. Andrew uh, in, uh, in on Instagram. I have a website w- with, I was going to say all kinds of fun stuff. I don't know. I think it's fun because I put it there. But there's like <laughs> like videos about why the first uh, page of Love in English is in Spanish and like facts and, and you know, just other um kind of random stuff about what's coming up. And hopefully once I've got news about this like floating island story, it'll be on there too. So there's a newsletter you can sign up for there. Um, and I would love to, to to hear from from you what you thought about this. So get in touch. Yeah, yeah. Maria's still concept, or not concepting, you have a draft. But like, you know, if you have thoughts about Maria's world you you could send them to her and maybe she'll yeah. include them or maybe she'll toss them out but there's a chance i'll, I'll put you in the acknowledgments yeah we'll crowdsource this place because like obviously <laughs> i still have questions <laughs> and i listeners i know we didn't really talk so much about maria's books that are already out yet but i think maybe if you've listened to this you've gotten some hints they're both wonderful and they're both about language and belonging and they're also really fun so you should check out love in english or the secret side of fd yes thank you all right you just listened to research hole i'm val howlett our music is by joey howlett our logo is by leah felicity lucci goodbye